Hey everybody, I'm Anna McEwen. And now for Bob Switzer with the epic narrative. Welcome back once again. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, Genesis 18. Now, if you remember, uh, uh, at the end, at the end of the last chapter, there was um, there was there was a little bit of a bloody mess going on around the campus, right? All the men. Uh, were being circumcised, and you know whether or not it was all done in a day is up to your interpretation of the of the language. But everybody had been circumcised, specifically Abraham, his new name, and his son Ishmael. They were circumcised, <clears throat> and everybody else, all the other males were as well. So for a while, clearly the women were running everything because there is a level of pain, and it it varies depending on the on the guy but it varies but up to they say usually up to three to four days when you get circumcised as an adult you you pretty much don't have a lot of um uh desire (laughs) to move around you kind of want to stay in one spot it kind of hurts to move it hurts to uh use i guess and 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 so activity is is very minimal it's under that context uh, that chapter 18 starts. So, so most uh, traditions and and oral renditions of the story say three days later. This chapter 18 is happening three days after the mass circumcision that occurred. So, in verse one it says, "The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of of memory." That seems like, well, that's a weird way to say that. But anyways, while he was sitting there at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. So the, 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 you know, the circumstances are they're in a, in a beautiful uh, wooded area of huge trees. And in this forest area along, you know, along uh, the land of, of Canaan, He's sitting at the entrance of his tent, which means he probably was under a bit of a covering. He probably was uh, lounging back in the, uh, you know, on some pillows. He's probably not trying not to move. That's that's really what we want to get to, right? He's just chilling. He is uh, a little uncomfortable, and he's probably just thinking about stuff. I mean, there's there basically everybody, all the men anyways, got three days off. So there's uh, at least three days, maybe a week. So there's kind of a slowdown in production. There's meetings that probably had been planned. And then God showed up, right, and said, hey, this is what I want you to do, right? They had this that, that long meeting where the Lord reiterated his, uh, his, his covenant. You remember the whole chapter? So it's, it's, uh, he's got a lot to think about. And in all of that, again, he was told, Sarah was going to have his baby. And right now, uh, you know, they're not going to be practicing that anytime soon because of the pain he's in. Uh, All right, Bob, you've said enough. Thank you so much. So he looked up. Abraham looks up and he saw three men standing nearby. And when he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed to the ground. So he looked up and and he saw. There's two things. When you when you 
read this verse, right, and you break it down. He looked up, and then he saw. So the look means he looked. And the second one is he perceived the three men. So he didn't, it wasn't just like he looked up and saw three men, which is the way that a lot of, you know, Westerners and preachers read it. Like he looked up and he saw three men. He looked up and he perceived these are not just mere men. He perceived he had a spiritual uh, connection. He understood that uh, the Lord again was coming to visit him. He got it. You see, when you're, when you're used to uh, God talking, when you're, when you're tuned in to his presence, when you understand uh, on a regular basis you're bringing his perspective into things, then, then things like this are relatively easy for you to perceive. You don't miss it. It's not that missing it is, is again, sinful. Like, don't look at it that way. You're really disappointed to God. It's just an opportunity here. It's an opportunity for blessing. So he looks up and he perceived the three men. And, and when he saw them, he rose up to invite them over. They, the, the indication is, uh, right, he, when he saw them, he hurried from his entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed down to the ground. The, the indication in, in the language is that they, it wasn't like they were walking toward the tent. They were walking by the tent. They stopped. Abraham saw them, or he looked at them. He understood who they were, and then he went and he greeted them, and he bowed down to, low to the ground. This is, uh, this, this is to indicate not only honor, but it's also at some level to indicate that that this was uh, this was a, a, a an act of inconvenience, <laughs> not inconvenience. This act wasn't convenient. That's what I want to say. All right, he was ignoring the pain in order to offer hospitality. He he knows that if he gets to them, there's something there for him. See, when God comes to visit, you can't. You can't leave out the fact that he doesn't he doesn't show up to be you know to to get stuff from you. He always he shows up to give stuff to you. That perception of God again is something that that comes along with a lot of the people who believe that God is punitive and wants to at some level destroy you and and the only way to hold him off is to keep him happy. When that God arrives, when that perception of who God is arrives, you assume he's going to want something from you. When Abraham, who knows God, sees that his messengers are coming, he perceives them, he goes to them because he knows when God shows up, good things happen. You end up blessed. It's a, it's a big difference in the way that you approach God. And a lot of people approach God from this, you know, from the, not from a uh, wrong, is, yeah, from a wrong perspective. They approach God with the idea of how am I going to make God happy enough to get from God what I think I need in order to, you know, get through the next day or get get by the next day or or get through this circumstance or heal this this injury or heal this relationship. I got to make sure God's happy enough with me. And, you know, sometimes we even push that down to our everyday life. You know, there's there are mm, families. We'll start there. There are families who have grown up under the perspective that that dad 
is like God, and we have to make sure dad is happy or the whole family suffers. And and that, you know, that male dominant culture in a family can really hinder the concept of equality and the and the concept of, of value to people who aren't men or aren't technically, you know, the we'll call it the dad of the household, the 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 father figure, the husband figure. And and all of that impacts culture and all of that impacts relationship. When you perceive God as somebody who needs something from you rather than somebody who brings blessing, it changes the way you approach him. So Abraham jumps up. Now, again, I think he's in pain. This is not like super convenient. This is an opportunity that he sees and he's like, wow, I'm going to, I am definitely going to uh, go, you know, go see these guys. I'm going to bow down to them. I'm going to let them know that they are welcome. So the hospitality is a big, big deal to God. And it, it still is actually in the Middle East. Generally speaking, hospitality is, the, is one of the core values of, uh, of heaven. Hospitality says, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give to you. I'm going to, I'm going to spend resources on you, even if you're a complete stranger. I don't need to know you in order to, to serve and love you. That's, that's another picture of God that most people don't have. Most people would believe that if God shows up, you better, you better you know, serve him because he's the master. He's the dominant one. He's the one who can wipe you out with, a, you know, with just a mere word. But, but you, you're just a worm. And you better do the right thing. You better, you better serve God Almighty. And in that, in again, in that, in that mindset, we will push that into the families and the way that the family is structured. And and it's just not true. Hospitality is what God's looking for. Hospitality is the picture of who He is. Remember, He's the one that went to Adam and Eve. He's the one that went to Cain. He showed hospitality and protection and love. He's the one who who took care of Noah. And, and offered hospitality to anyone who was willing to, to enter into the ark in order to avoid death. He's the one who offered hospitality. It's, it's uh, it, well, yeah, to Abram. It's, it, is, it's a, it is a core value of God to be hospitable. It's a big deal to the, to the culture of heaven that should be re- represented here on earth, represented here on earth. I try to I try to say the word represented as represented as often as I can because to me it makes that mental shift in people's perception of what that word means. It's not just represent as in I represent this person, it's to represent as in this is exactly what it looks like. This is exactly what God looks like. This is exactly what heaven looks like. It's represented here on earth. So the you know uh, in in the Middle East you know during this time especially right the land is is a pretty harsh land to travel across and when when you traveled there wasn't a lot of support if you didn't if you didn't carry your own support system then you were on your own like there wasn't uh, there wasn't a lot of uh, rest rest stops along the way now there were villages and there were 
you know, uh, they were usually built around water sources, whether they were oases or creeks or or lakes or or rivers. And so when travelers would come in, you were the rest stop. You were a resource for them. And to ignore them or to leave them on their own was considered, a, you know, just ah, that was the height of arrogance and, and rudeness and, and hostility. You would naturally provide water and food and shelter. And even if you couldn't provide it, you would, you would at least allow access to it. You would say, you know, my, uh, you know, the well is there. Um, there's, there's figs and, and bread, you know, cakes, whatever they're called. Uh, there's a name, fig cakes or something, you know, they're like, like I can't serve you, but there is stuff available. Feel free to take it type of thing. Almost like, you know, Halloween candy at the end of the driveway. Like here's a bucket, please be considerate because there's other people around you. This, this, at the very base type of uh, hospitality was was necessary. But the the more hospitable you could be, the more like God you were. And Abraham, who had an amazing relationship with God, would have known this. He knew that the culture that he was starting, the culture that he was training people in, the culture that he was familiar with, the the interactions with God, he knew that hospitality had to be a high priority. So he sees three people. He perceives who they are. He he gets up and he runs to them and he bows down to them. And he says to them, uh, you know, well, we'll read it. He says, let a little water be brought. Well, first of all, he says, if I found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. So the first thing he does is he entreats, he, you know, invites them. He, he really uh, actually begs them, please come. Let me show you at least the very base of hospitality. Let me get you some water, please. A little water. And, and let, let, let's wash your feet. At the very, you know, let me cool you. I mean, honestly, when you're, when you're walking, how, how awesome is it to wash your feet? I don't know. I don't know how often you guys wash your feet. I know there was a season in my life there was a season in my life where I washed my feet fairly regularly, and I was amazed at how, how <laughs> I want to say weird it felt. It it did feel well weird because it felt so like cleansing and cooling and refreshing to have it done. I I don't know how else to say it. Uh, Abraham goes to them, he invites them, he bows to them. You know, he shows that that appropriate. Uh, honor and then he's like please come let me let me bring you some water let me wash your feet under the tree let me give you some shade let you know let let me let me find some way to bless you and show you hospitality now this is again remember this is the the picture of the way god reacts this is the way hospitality is done in heaven verse 5 let me get you something to eat so that you can be refreshed and then go on your way now that you have come to your servant. And they're like, all right, go do whatever it is you want to do. Now those feet, right? Every time I think of somebody, uh, well, I think of, of my history, right? It was uh, during, I know it's going to sound weird. I went to a boarding high school and my roommate, my roommate washed his feet on, on the regular. He'd stand in the tub just before bed, wash his feet, 
dry his feet and then jump into bed. And if, and if uh, I know this is another, another odd thing for some of you, but we had, we had a lights out rule. And after lights out, you weren't allowed theoretically to get out of your bed. And basically that meant if the, you know, if, if the hall monitor whose job it was to walk up and down the hall after lights out, just to see if he heard any, you know, anything going on and he'd knock on the door and tell you to be quiet. And that happened fairly regularly, but it, you know, it, it was, it, you didn't really get in trouble unless you like were up taking a, a bath with, or, or shower. Like that was no, no, you can't do that. So after lights out, if he hadn't washed his feet yet, he would, um, because he didn't want to run the water and get in trouble, he would just use alcohol wipes. And technically, he just used alcohol with with cotton wipes, and we would just and he would just wash his feet. And I remember watching him do this, and we got along great and everything. And I remember him saying, "You should try it." So I did, and I remember thinking, "What in the world? Like this, this feels so amazing." Like, how is this not a thing? And I've definitely gotten out of the habit, and I don't do that anymore. But I've, you know, it it sticks in my head. Obviously, it sticks in my head. It's pretty crazy. But I also think of, of the, of, uh, do you remember? Um, there was a show called The Office. There's a character called Kevin. He was a, an, he, well, they were all great characters. Uh, but Kevin, they had been at a wedding. Kevin's feet were killing him. He took off his shoes. His, oh, actually, I don't think he had shoes. He'd forgotten them. He was dancing in Kleenex boxes, I think. Takes off the boxes, takes off his, his socks. He pulls a chair in front of the ice maker and shoves his feet <laughs> into the ice. It was so gross. And he's like, oh, yeah. Whoa. You know, and he just, he's feeling great and, and just obviously very cringeworthy um, concept that somebody might be doing that to the ice makers. These were obviously old, the old ice makers. Um, in, in hotels used to actually just be bins of ice and you would just scoop it out. So stuff like that could be done. And then, of course, you know, they had to change that because people don't think, uh, unfortunately, they don't think of kindness and hospitality. They think of, I can do what I want. This is a big bin of ice. Let me do something funny and, and you know, ruin ruin people's vacations or, or whatever. So oh, now they have the push button ones. Okay, Bob, that's enough about the hotel. Move on with the story. Thank you so much. Here we go. So he says, let me bring you something to eat. They said, okay. So Abraham hurries, verse 6, hurried to the tent to Sarah. So Sarah's in her own tent. He's like, quick, get three bags of the finest flour, knead it, and make some bread. So she, I, I'm guessing she's aware that there's visitors here. She's she's fine. She wasn't circumcised. She can wander around. She probably sees that Abraham's entertaining three men that he, you know, ran off to get him. She's probably wondering, wow, he must be feeling better. Interesting. All right. Let me pay attention. She's, she, you know, she's a smart woman. She's perceptive. So he comes running into her tent. He, she's probably halfway expecting this because, you know, this is what Abraham does. People show up. Abraham wants to entertain them. But the, the interesting thing was he was like, get the finest flour. Like, these guys are special. These guys are set apart. These guys are not going to just get the normal flour that we serve everyone. Finest bread. Make it really good. 
Now, specifically, some people believe that he went to Sarah because she had a gift of making bread. And I, I don't know if you've ever met, you know, people like that. I have where they, you know, there's just something that they make better. And it doesn't matter if they give other people the recipe. Other people can follow the recipe, but there's something that these people do that just seems to make it, you know, pop. It's, I don't know, you know, a lot of chefs have that ability, but there's a lot of moms that have that ability. People have like this signature thing that they do and they can explain it to people 50 different ways. But every time it's like, no, but mom, mom, can you make this? Because, you know, we make it or, you know, my, my wife and I tried or try to make it or my husband and I try to make it. It's just not the same. So that's why uh, some people believe he went to Sarah and didn't just shout orders to servants, make bread, make, you know, make meat, serve my friends. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, sit here with them. He ran to Sarah and he's like, I need you to make the finest bread. And that's, that's tied into that word finest. Like you you make the finest bread. You make the most amazing bread. You should make this bread because I want these people to be wowed by the food that we give them. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf. So this is Abram, okay? Or Abraham now. He runs to a corral uh, uh, somewhere, probably not too far, over a hill, through the woods. I don't know. He gets there. And, and I'm sure at some level, the servants who are also in pain and just kind of watching, kind of sitting, watching, not really doing a whole lot because of, of circumcision, you know, to see the boss man come over into the corral area, I'm sure that they kind of popped up, had to ignore their pain. They're looking at him kind of confused. And he's, he's like walking amongst the sheep. He's like looking all around. He's like, no, 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 this one's too old. No, this one's, uh, that one's too young. Oh, I need, I need, there it is. There's the perfect one. I want that one. And he picks it up and he brings it to the servant who's probably standing there, right? He gave it to him. He's like, here, take this and prepare it for a meal. I want it done perfect, you know, perfect, medium, rare. I want it juicy and tender. Make sure you use the right spices. And the servants immediately went to work. They knew what to do. They, you know, sliced it, diced it, skinned it, uh, uh, seasoned it, got it on an open fire. Now, all of this takes time. Remember, it's not like, you know, it's not like nowadays. Like, I'm going to I'm gonna th- throw this thing, throw this chunk of meat into, a def- into the microwave. I'm going to defrost it, probably take it about 10 minutes, and then we're going to throw it in the oven, and then we're going to, you know, or, or put the meat on the grill, like we could probably we could probably throw together a meal like this in about an hour. This would have taken multiple hours in during this time. Multiple hours. And what's going on during that time? Uh, he's got three visitors, three angels. Three angels just kind of chilling in the shade, probably smiling. They know what their assignments are, right? The angels are on assignment. They know what they're supposed to do. They know that their first part of their assignment is working. Because if they didn't get invited, they would have just walked on by. They were invited. They came to do a job. They're, they're happy about this. So they're waiting patiently. I'm sure Abraham stopped by. They talked about 
life. They talked about trees. They talked about the flocks, whatever. And then when everything was done, he brought them curds and milk, which are uh, tasty things like appetizers. And the calf that had been prepared, and he put it all before them with the bread. And he and while they ate, he stood near them under the tree. Which means he was the one who was serving the meal. He was the one that was going to uh, make sure that the bread, you know, got passed around. Make sure that the curds got passed around. Make sure that the the meat got passed around. He was going to go get more of any one of those things if the, if it was needed. Sarah was not at this party. Sarah was at the entrance of her tent, which was kind of behind them. She was watching. Why? Because if if I mean, he she probably coordinated the delivery of all these things. So. She, her tent, you know, would have been um, probably connected or very close to the main kitchen area, the cooking area of the of the encampment. So she's looking at Abraham, and when Abraham needs more, like she sees him grab a, you know, the basket of, of bread and come to the tent. She knows what he needs, fills it, etc. So they're probably working together on all this. Now the idea that the angels are speaking here is culturally. Uh, or traditionally, they say that they started to speak after they ate. Now, you've got to remember what angels are, right? They don't need food. They don't need the food. They received the food. They ate the food because of the culture of hospitality that is in the culture of heaven that is being presented to them here on earth. They they don't need they don't need the water they don't need to wash their feet they don't they don't need any of that. They're angels. They're from another realm. They're just walking by. They're doing their assignment. They stopped to show the importance of hospitality, to show the the value of honoring one another in heaven. That's what's going on. So when they are all done, that's when they start to talk. And they asked for Sarah. They said, uh, where's your wife, Sarah? Oh, she's there in the tent, he said. And one of them said, hmm, I will surely return to you, <clears throat> excuse me, about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent, which was behind them. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, right? We already established that. Sarah was past the age of childbearing, so she wasn't, what that means is that her flow had stopped. Her flow, her monthly visita. However, however you might identify that, her monthly friend. So Sarah laughed at herself and she thought, am I, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, I will now have this pleasure? So the Lord says to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh when I said, well, I really have a child now that I'm old? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. And Sarah was afraid. She said, I, I didn't laugh. And he said, yes, you did. So what's going on? Let's just break this down a little bit, all right? So he asked for Sarah. He specifically basically says, this is my assignment. I need to speak with Sarah. Where is she? She's in the tent. 
So some think that she was hiding in the folds of the tent and listening in on the conversation because she was just eavesdropping. Some believe she was standing at the entrance of the tent, making herself available for any sort of act of service or hospitality that the guest might need or that her husband might need. But she is within earshot, and, and the angel knows this. And, and so he prophesied, prophesied, prophetically speaks to her and says, you will have a son in one year. Now, maybe she, I mean, not maybe, she is, so she laughs. She laughs because she's like, I'm worn out. It's not that people in their 90s didn't have children is that when your when your flow stops you're not having children anymore so hers had stopped and that's why she figured she was too worn out to have children anymore her hope of having children child having a child bearing a child was gone now she laughs i don't think she laughs because because this is like a uh I don't, I don't think she's laughing for any other reason than she thinks this is actually like one of those over-the-top uh, kind words from a visitor. She doesn't recognize this as a word from the Lord. She doesn't recognize this as a prophetic act, uh, activation within her body. A lot of people do this, you know, when they hear from God. They, they listen to it. It sounds crazy, and they laugh about it. I think there is no way that's going to happen. There's no way. That doesn't make any sense. There's no physical way that that's going to occur. There's no, you know, the circumstances would be crazy if that occurred. And that's the sort of, of, of mindset that Sarah has. She hears this, this what she would consider a compliment. Somebody who's like, trying to honor her. She's clearly in her 90s in her mind. She's way beyond childbearing. And he's like uh, giving a kind gesture to her by saying, a year from now, your wife will have a son. I mean, that, that honestly, culturally, to, to, prophesy, to, to speak out for a new son was just another way of, of saying, I want to bless your family with some form of abundance. I'm going to bless you with another son. To have another son in the in the home was like such a nice thing for a visitor to say to to uh, you know to a stranger at this point to somebody that they barely know to say I want to bless your household I want to bless your family I'm going to bless you with a son I bless you with a son a year from now you will have another child so she she received it you know like a kind of like a sweet and funny. Um, verbiage just sweet you know because she knows everyone and around her knows that she no longer has to go visit the you know the red tent which is where the women would go once a month and they'd all in essence sit together in the red tent and it would it would mean you know when when all the women <laughs> when your woman went to the red tent there was no men went in there they were they were not touched they were left alone and, and uh, if you know anything about uh, community, women tend to get into the same rhythm when they're around each other a lot, whether it be, you know, well, in this case, they're around each other all the time. But sometimes it'll happen in, you know, at, uh, in workplaces. 
if if a lot of women are working in close proximity to each other, their 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 bodies get in sync. It's actually you know they uh, evolutionists have reason for it. You know, going back to the cavemen days, um, I think it goes all the way back to creation that we were built to be in sync. We're just designed to be in frequency with one another, to under, to to be in rhythm with one another, and women women show that. So, anyways, all the women in the in the tents knew that Sarah no longer went to the red tent once a month. So she laughs because because she's thinking everybody everybody knows that's not going to happen. But I think in her heart she's thinking, but you know, thank you very much. It's it's kind of like uh you know going to um. You know, to a woman who's 80 years old and saying, oh, my goodness, you're beautiful. You don't look a day over 40. I've been known to do stuff like that. So I understand what this could have sounded like. I'm I, you know, I I get it. And they laugh usually and they're like, oh, thank you, Bob. You're so sweet. You know, but I know that they're not 40 years old. And so I don't, you know, I know a lot of people jump on Sarah for, for laughing at the word of God. I don't think she received it as a word of God. She looked at it and was like, that's, that's, uh, that's sweet. Thank you so much. That's not going to (laughs) happen. Okay. He clearly hasn't been around here. He clearly doesn't know that my, I'm no longer bearing children. We all know, we all know this, but that was sweet. Thank you so much. And that's when, that's when the Lord, you know, the, the Lord says to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh when I said, and said, you know, will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. And Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I, I didn't laugh. I didn't laugh. And the Lord said, yes, actually you did. But listen, there wasn't any condemnation here, right? She gets called out, but she, and she denies it, and the Lord doubles down. He doubles down because he's not trying to belittle or embarrass or make her feel shame or guilt. He's trying to call her faith up. This is a, There's a big difference depending on how you perceive this, right? Some people think that if you know if God is a God of con- condemnation, if God is a God who comes in and punishes, if God is a God who who has this overarching mindset of every time you fail, I'm going to point it out and you're going to you know I'm going to come at you. <clears throat> then when Sarah laughs, this is an opportunity for God to come at her. But I believe Sarah. Obviously, I went into it at length. I think Sarah heard it and thought, "This can't be the Lord." Like everyone knows, I can't have children anymore. And she chuckles, and he's like, "Wait, Abraham, what's going on?" She doesn't understand. This is a word for the Lord. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make this clear. I want her to hear me. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? And I, I, I think that there's a pause. I think Abraham and Sarah answer this. Then they both answer it in the negative. No, there isn't. All right. Then when I return, you will have a child next year at this time. And I think there was a pause and she probably looked around and said, I, I, you know, I don't, I I don't, I don't, I didn't laugh. He's like, yes, you did. Yes, you did. 
And and I, I, I don't think he was offended by it at all. I think he probably smiled and said, really, don't worry about it. Because your internal and your external expectations need to be need to be in alignment for the word of the Lord to come forward. Your internal and external expectations need to come into alignment with the word of the Lord or they get out of sync. Childbearing had been off the table for a while, but he he knew that and he's visually looking at Sarah and he's saying, you are going to need to go to the red tent again. You are going to be renewed. You are going to get pregnant. This is going to happen because, because I'm the word of the Lord. I'm delivering a word of the Lord for you. Now walk in it. Step in it. You know, there's you can have joy when the word of the Lord comes, but don't don't miss it because you think it sounds crazy. Don't miss it because you think there's no way that could happen. He's like, bring your bring your internal and external expectations into alignment with what you hear the Lord saying, and it'll happen. Get into frequency with your creator like you were designed to do back in Genesis chapter 1. You were designed to be in frequency with Creator God from the beginning. And that's what we do now here on earth. When we hear the word of the Lord, get into frequency, get into rhythm, and watch your circumstances change. Wow. Thank you guys so much for hanging out today. I look forward to talking to you again next week. Oh, next week. What is it? Sodom. Bum, bum, bum. Thanks for hanging out. Don't go anywhere. We've got Bob Thoughts. Good. Well, here it's morning. I'm currently in South Dakota. I think by the time you hear this, I'll be in Minnesota. But I hope all you all are doing well. I actually have a pretty sore throat, been sick for a couple days. So I'm thinking this is going to be a short thoughts because I don't know how long I can really go at it uh, with my vocals, not at 100%, but you guys have been great. Uh, just, yeah, it's just been great. And more of you, I, I would love it if more of you would reach out and say hi and let me know what you think of these um, of these episodes. I think that we cover a lot of big topics and we uh, draw you know, a lot of principles of what it's like to have a God who's always good not a God who occasionally has to beat the snot out of you like a, quote, human father. Any, any good father, you know, beats his children occasionally, disciplines them. And we forget that the word discipline, it comes from the root word of disciple, which is about relationship. So every good father disciples his son and has tight relationship with him. It's it's a it's a whole new nuance. I, I I don't even know why I went down that rabbit trail, but anyways, most of us have a have a have a different concept of what discipline is, right? We assume it has to do with, well, nowadays it has to do with um, like timeouts or less screen time uh, or you know you you do, you only get to go to 
camp for two weeks rather than eight weeks or whatever. Like but when I was growing up, it had to do with, um, yeah, we'll just call it capital punishment. <laughs> to me, it worked out great. I absolutely loved my childhood and I loved my parents. And I think they did a fabulous job in that form of discipline. They did a fabulous job, I think. Either way, either way, I think I'm pretty, I turned out pretty awesome and uh, I blame them. <laughs> so mom, if you're out there, you're awesome. I love you. And I know dad's listening because he's been a big encouragement to me uh, up in heaven. He just is. I just, I see him smiling at me all the time. So expectations, internal and external expectations being the same. And this is often, I just wanted to give you a short little thing. This is how you know if those two expectations are in sync or in frequency. It comes out in the way you say things. A lot of people will say, God, you know, is good. God can heal. God can, and they have these, these great, expectations and then they 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 couch it with vocabulary that is like but he's never come through for me but uh i always choose the wrong thing but i don't deserve it but but and there's always a but and you it, that i'm it's not, this is not meant to condemn it's just meant to give you a an insight if you hear your verbal, your vocabulary, not consistent with the goodness of God, then your expectations are less than or different than the uh, the uh, internal expect or uh, uh, yeah, your external expectation is usually like, yeah, God can do anything. You never know, and then internally you're like, but that's how you can kind of check yourself. Um, and, and uh, you know, we saw that in Sarah's uh, response. I think she she heard that what what she interpreted to be like a compliment, uh, an over the top compliment from the uh, and, and uh, over the top, you know, honor of her beauty from the angel, <laughs> and then she she found herself laughing because internally she's like, but that ain't going to happen, but that ain't going to happen. So just, just be careful. All right. So my voice is already given out on me. I've only been at this for about five minutes. Check your vocabulary to see if your internal and external expectations are consistent and where they're not consistent, just work on it. It takes practice where you hear yourself inconsistent. <clears throat> change what you say out loud. Change what you say inside. And watch how you start to reap what you sow. You'll reap your expectations. This is a universal principle. <laughs> and it makes a big difference. All right, I got to go. I can barely talk. Have yourself a great day, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use. You can also reach out to Bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com. See you next week, guys.